Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, Adam, I saw that you made it over to Ford Fest. I don't know if you made it in, but you're in a couple of shots there outside with the rabble. Did you did you manage to like go clandestine and get a hot dog? Uh, or something no, or? it was it was strictly rabble. It was strictly, strictly rabble. <laughs> I mean, if I if I want a Ford Fest hamburger, I can always go to Costco and buy fifty of them <laughs> and a bar cake. <laughs> you're good. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly some bespoke service at Fordfest, if you know what I mean. But yeah, no, it was a good time. What I mean, uh, I don't think I've ever heard Mike Schreiner yell before. That was oh, kind of a, yeah. Is there, is there tape? Oh yeah. Oh, excellent. I have, a vid- I have a video of it. I didn't post it just because it <laughs> like TMZ. Well, <laughs> open source style. <laughs> Save it for the career retrospective, I guess. Uh, anyway, open source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the Burlington mayor, Marianne Mead Ward, and she is also the chair of Ontario Big City Mayors. We're going to talk about meeting with Premier Ford, speaking of Ford Fest, the limits of red tape reduction, and speaking of the green belt, fighting for the green belt when it's literally in your backyard. That's at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from last week, including the trial of the Freedom Convoy organizers, Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Will there be a criminal penalty for organizing the convoy? We will see, but first, Common Sense is back! It's back! <laughs> you might even call it a Common Sense Revolution. Um, I've never heard that before. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Uh, mm. But that's a not-so-oblique uh, allusion to uh, the uh, policy convention for the Conservative Party that was hosted in Quebec City last week. Uh, a lot of um, good press for our friend Pierre, whose party is now firmly anti-mandate, anti-medical support for trans kids, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. And, and I believe I, I believe Scotty has a laundry list of grievances we'll get to in a second, but um, <laughs> it, also, it is also <laughs> it just, you know, sort of high level. This was like really kind of a coming out party for Pierre Polivare as leader. I mean, we have a lot of polls saying that he is uh, perhaps even in some polls in majority government territory. If an election were to be held today at the same time, you have this sort of sad sack story, you know, sad trombone. Justin Trudeau's plane was stuck on the tarmac in India on his way home from G20. Um, just uh, kind of really sad all around. Of course, there's stories now that uh, some people are saying Justin Trudeau should go before the next election. So it's uh, it's been a good week for Pierre. Uh, maybe not such a good week for people who are concerned about Pierre's politics, as it were. Yeah, they've gone full in on the culture war. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not all they talked about. I mean, so so to be fair, I mean, c- conventions, we know the work on this, people bring these things to the table. It's usually like, well, in, in, in the conservatives case, it was a couple of hundred motions. Then they pare <laughs> that down and they talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And I actually got this 
great reporting from the breach who were actually eventually banned from the venue along with a friend of the show, Nora Loretto. Yep. Uh, so, so much for all the freedom that they talk about, freedom of expression, whatever. Yep. Nora Loretto was representing uh, the maple. Yep. And got the boots. That's a bit of a sidebar, but anyway, <laughs> these, um, some of this info is from the breach. And I, I looked through the resolutions just to see what was going on because there are the contentious ones that are going to, if, if anything's going to make the conservatives not elected next time, it will be the focus on the, those things. But first, some of them, it's far be it for me to give the conservatives credit. Mm. So I'm, I'm doing a, I'm doing a bit of a 180 here for a minute, but they don't <laughs> sound bad on paper, right? Mm, one sure. of them was eliminating the GST from baby products. Mm. One of them was expanding palliative care. These are things that passed. So this is their policy documents, which Polyev can and probably will completely ignore. Mm -hmm. uh, a national senior strategy. And of course, spending, there was seemed to be a lot about defense. No surprise there. Mm. It might mean, you know, Prime Minister Polyev gets a new plane uh, because I, I knew they were going <laughs> to jump on the Justin Trudeau being trapped in, in uh, trapped, stuck in, <laughs> stuck in India. And they did, of course, mm. they took the low road on that one it's like grounded just like his policies you know some comment like that just i mean it's good it's good it's good it's you know it yeah it's it's, it's fair, a, game. A fair enough shot right to yeah. take when you're in this position and getting lots of press is the speech i guess got some traction powerful paychecks blah 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 i love that um, powerful paychecks but it, yeah powerful paychecks but he's on <laughs> He's on his game, mm. though, and that's that's something to watch mm. for sure. Regardless, of how I feel about his politics. It's like he's finding his stride now. Can he maintain that till a, a potential election? And like I said, like you alluded to there, the um, the motions of attacking uh, trans people and the stuff about you know, defining who a woman is and uh, lots of stuff about who goes to which washroom and all that. Mm. If they start getting completely bogged down on that rather than it being a sideshow, that's when the trouble is going to begin for them, I think. Because supposedly everything else is great. You know, they're doing great in the polls and the, the millennials love them. I'm like, are you sure? Are you <laughs> sure about that? Like, does a millennial have a, a landline that you can take a poll on? Like, how do they talk to them? I don't even know. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't completely believe that, but it could just be anecdotal. You know, my son thinks he's great. Yeah, your son's in what junior achievement or something. Anyway, well, I, I think we talked about. I don't know if it was you and I talked about this, or I was talking about it with somebody else. Just you know, the this tweet from Brian Mulroney's son, who was like, "My dad watched the speech and he thought it was the best Canadian yeah. political speech ever." It's like, yeah. um, is this the same like Brian Mulroney's been talking about like? how concerned he is about conservative politics chasing like these American grievance culture stuff. I'm not so sure. I mean, Brian Morney could have just been talking, you know, stylist, stylistic wise, because yeah, I mean, this is, he's in the catbird position now and Pierre Polyver has managed to do what I think neither Sheer or O'Toole were able to do, which is walk a line between the, shall we say more ideological parts of the party and the more pragmatic parts of the party. Um, I, I am curious to see if that momentum can be maintained as you were saying, because I mean, from the outside looking in, you have 
uh, the Toronto Sun this week. Front page news on the Toronto Sun. We discovered the federal government's pushing bugs. They're trying to teach us how to eat bugs. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah. And I'm so glad I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like and, and like their proof is like research that's been ongoing since like 2000, which is basically essentially like can we have like what alternate sources of protein can we find? Like nobody has a plan to as, at least of all, Justin Trudeau has a plan to make you eat bugs. Um, You know, it's it's been something that's sort of been in the ether for a while. But in like this American conspiracy culture, grievance politics, this is the thing. It's like Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton are in a bug factory somewhere trying to figure out how to make bugs good and tasty enough for American people to eat and then slap a label on it. that says Soylent Green or something. I don't know. Um, it, it's It's in the ether. And how long can he, you know, Maxine Bernier was kind of taking his shots too, and of mm-hmm. course, Ma- Maxine Ber- Maxine Bernier has no truck for anything res- remotely resembling old-fashioned conservatism. Um, but Pierre's gotta, you know, he needs the, the, the those energized groups that might believe in conspiracy theories, but he needs like the old stock conservative people, and that's been a only one politician in Canada was able to keep that coalition together for any length of time. And it was Pierre Polivare's old boss, Stephen Harper. Mm-hmm. And even he wasn't entirely successful. I mean, there were like at least th- three elections there where he it looked like he was going to win. And then there was a bozo eruption. And everyone was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, the conservative party. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it looks pretty. I mean, it looks you hate to say it looks like a done deal. But I mean, the controversy always comes where you least expect it. At least the most damaging controversies always come from where you least suspect it. And to to go at it from the substance things, yeah, Pierre's saying all the right things about you know making the the, the paycheck powerful and things like that. But there's this scandal, and you mentioned the breach. The breach reporting this that you have lobbyists from major oil, pharmaceutical companies, real estate companies like Husky. Tourmaline Oil, GlaxoSmithKline, mm-hmm. uh, people who lobbied for Enbridge and Avenue Commercial, um, Westerkirk, which is a company owned by one of the biggest billionaires in Canada. You have all these people now sitting on, well, not all of them, but you know, half the governing board is made up of these sorts of people who Pierre Polivier claims to despise, you know, real world economic forum types. And, you know, I mean, does that matter to the rank and file or is this sort of just, you know, sort of inside baseball stuff? That's going to be an interesting question. Yeah, they're just being open about it now. And that's why they don't like the breach. And that's why they don't like Nora. And they probably don't like us, which is fine. (laughs) But yeah, so it's there was a tone on the weekend, too. And and Ford jumped on it at the Ford Fest. The mm. kind of riding the dog whistle wave about and the kids, you know, they gotta, you know, they we need to know when they're deciding things. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but speaking of bozo eruption, I mean just sounds like a bozo permanently now. There's no there's no getting out of it. But I think he was sensing this messaging coming from uh Quebec City, right? And it's like, mm. oh, you know, I'll ride that wave a little bit because you know, get on the, the populist groove and just beat it in the ground because it seems to work, maybe, but mm when you mentioned common sense there, if there's anything and many, many of us who vote remember the common sense revolution, which was Mm -hmm. one of the worst things that haven't recovered from that era Mm -hmm. in Ontario. 
So if he plays that card too hard in this province, which is vote rich, it's not going to help. I'd be surprised. Maybe they're hoping that it's been, what, 25, whatever many years now. Oh, by 25, it'll be 30 years. It is. Yeah. So they're hoping that people have maybe forgotten about that and Mm. the common sense revolution. Lots of us haven't forgotten about it. Now, mind you, it wasn't just Harris that caused those problems back in the day. Mm. Maybe save that conversation for another day. It involves liberals uh, at mm. the federal level, but mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, there, uh, there's no way that that will fly in Ontario, at least. And I don't, I'm not even sure what kind of traction they're getting in Quebec. Yeah, that's a good. It didn't question. actually. There didn't seem to be anything in this for Quebec. You know what I mean? There was, there was nothing. There was no focus that. And actually, when Polyev's wife spoke, she said the little. I saw a clip. She was speaking in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I guess she was sort of harkening back to her roots, which is fine. I guess that's what you do. Yeah. But there didn't seem to be uh, too much Francais considering what's at stake there in Quebec, which is also lots of votes. You don't win Ontario. You don't win Quebec. You are not the government. Well, so, I mean, it's well, it's that's just how this nation works, right? So Yeah. And it's that's got to be a threat to the Bloc Québécois, too, that if... Paul Avere kind of goes into goes in for all English candidate concerns. Um, you know, Quebec's going to turn to a viable party who <laughs> can f- build a wall, and you know that could be the NDP. Yeah, you like know, the they did wave it before. Period. Yeah. Um, yeah, could be the Liberals. It's not going to be the Bloc. I mean, you know, when was the Bloc at its weakest? It was when Harper was in power. Mm. So it's you know, I'm I'm sure there's probably some sweating in the the halls of. Uh, the offices of the Bloc Québécois. Uh, the, the Ford thing is interesting um, because I, I think the two of them are feeding off each other because there was this other thing um, reported from earlier this summer that a lot of people who are funding Paul Iver's campaign are developers. And that made me think back to 2018, who was dumping all that money into Canada Proud or Ontario Proud? Mm-hmm. It was developers. So, you know, when we're talking about like where the secret power is, where the secret money is, uh, we got to be looking at real estate developers. Of course, Pierre Polivier has a 50% stake in a uh, a firm that owns a, a townhouse complex in Calgary. So he's a, he's kind of a developer himself. Um, but that was like the, the influence of Ontario Proud in 2018, plus the general unpopularness of Kathleen Wynne, plus the money developers were dumping into Ontario proud changed that election mm-hmm. um and you know it, it, one can see this condition sort of lining up one of the base tenants they won't say it but one of the base tenants of the conservative party is that we hate Justin Trudeau we just hate him um which <laughs> it's, it was kind of funny watching this gag that Pierre Polyver was doing on the WestJet plane that was actually a chartered flight for people going to the convention it wasn't just sort of like a random folksy thing and I yep. was like I could have swore this was the stuff the conservative party hated about Justin Trudeau when he was like out jogging and there was a couple getting married and then he photobombs them and it's like, oh, that phony Justin Trudeau. And so now we have Paul Bear doing the same thing, like getting up and like, this is your captain, Beer Paul Bear speaking. We're about to take off into a land of freedom with your powerful paycheck. Peace out, everyone. See you in two years. And now and that's a viral moment. And now like it's the same playbook. There's it's kind oh. of nothing original here. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I mean that that was I don't know if it was scripted to the word. Yeah. But that was de- all of that stuff yeah. is planned by the by the people in the background. 
Yeah, there's no way he'd come up with that himself. He's just that he's just so wooden. I don't like all of this, all of this makeover stuff. It's like he's carved out of a block. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe a bit Pinocchio ish. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so he, you know, just, just writing that whole thing. But yet, that, as you mentioned, all that stuff in the background is all of the corporate stuff, all of the <laughs> oligarch stuff, all those things that you said that like he claims to hate, but loves. The little guy, like let's say, I don't know, buying donuts for the convoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. in this strange balancing act, and will will people buy it in twenty twenty five or maybe sooner? But uh, I I don't. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Jury's out. Uh, good segue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> points for the segue. I think um, I was going that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <trial>. uh, <laughs> uh, so. In the last couple of weeks, starting last Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, uh, Tamara Leach, Chris Barber, two of the organizers of the Freedom Convoy, have been on trial. They have been charged with, and it you know, doesn't sound like the most serious charges in the world, um, but they have been charged with mischief, uh, obstructing police, uh, counseling others to commit mischief, and intimidation. And... I don't know how it looks perhaps in the courtroom in Ottawa. You know, I, I haven't done a lot of court reporting in my life, but it, it and maybe this is just because of the phase it's in, but uh, the, the trial, I mean, but it, it just seems like, I don't know, we're kind of off to a, if the point is to paint Lick and Barber as kind of like masterminds, I'm not sure the crown has kind of made their case yet. No. And that's the thing. Like mischief is one of these things that sounds like it's, a bit lightweight and it yeah. can be but there's yeah. two types of offenses a summary offense is mischief like you're throwing paint around or or stealing road signs or something but if it's indictable and there's a range right mm-hmm. with these mischief mm-hmm. and counseling others to create mischief can actually be really serious and lead to jail time especially if you're counseling people to do certain things now whether that's honking 120 decibel horns for weeks at a time or however long it seems so long ago too that that happened or it's you're counseling people to go and shoot someone there. So there's a range there. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, anything like this, they throw obstruction to police on as well, because there was some of that. And I think intimidation is another charge. that's kind of open-ended where it can be, it, it's, it's fluid. Let's say it just depends mm-hmm. on how much weight that they put on it. So the defense, which is Lawrence Greenspan, top drawer lawyer, he, he was involved with um, Mike Duffy, among others, and, and mm-hmm. uh, Conrad Black. So he dekes, he dekes right, but I think he is a, fr- uh, let's say he's a freedom type person. I don't think he, well, he's a libertarian. Convoy. And they're not, I mean, my first question was, who's paying for that guy? Because it costs a lot of money. Oh, yeah. But it's entirely possible that he's doing it just, just for the, to get on TV. The lulls, yeah, because he believes so much in freedom or whatever, but yeah, and it, the the way that they're the defense is going, it's very interesting because it's like you you're you've got all this stuff. You want the people in Ottawa to testify that were annoyed by the convoy, mm. businesses that lost money, but what does that directly have to do with Leach and Barber? Right? It's right. like so. It's a it's a a certain tack he's taking because he said, Oh, you show me a business has lost a lot of money. I can show you a Tim Hortons that had their best week ever. Uh, so it's, <laughs> and it, it was where they mentioned Tim Hortons because thinking about that with Polly Evan the donuts because he definitely helped uh, that week for sure on mm-hmm. that. 
but yeah, it's it, and they're trying to draw this line. It's like, okay, if some chud is taking a, a dump in your doorway, did they sanction them to do that? They say go go and do that, or did they? You know, there's there were like 500 charges laid throughout the convoy, so the people that were doing whatever they were doing, um got nailed us but these ones are are they're trying to make them take the fall and that's that's what the crown has to prove and it is i think it is gonna be tough i honestly don't think they're going to if if this goes it's going to go on and on for a couple more weeks now probably right i don't think they're going to go to jail i think the reluctance yeah the reluctance to martyr these people like can you imagine even if it was for a day Mm. screaming that would go on so that's what i'm saying because the charges are arranged it's like well, you could put them in jail or you could make them pay a fine. So I think that's such, yeah, that, that's such a, a key point is like how much is them giving out orders and how much of it is just like sort of this big thing that just kind of got completely out of control. And um, the video they showed on Wednesday was they're talking about this freedom Freedom Inc. or Freedom Corp. that we're using to, to set up to to collect all the donations, and um, Tamara Leach was effectively the president of that. And you know, if if this is a kind of follow the money thing, that's you know that's maybe some damning evidence. On the other hand, the the thing you mentioned at the back and forth about how many people affected by the convoy are the Crown going to be allowed to call? Um is is interesting because it's like well, how many of those people had like direct contact with chris barber and or tamara leach i would imagine a lot of the people in downtown ottawa probably didn't have direct contact with them mm-hmm. um and probably couldn't pick them out of a proverbial police lineup if they did i i think this was kind of like it, it, it was a problem of the mass of of of, of the group itself and it's going to, I think that the challenge for the crown, and I think you're right, it's going to be a tough challenge is drawing that straight line from Lich and Barber to everybody else. And the other thing is there's a big civil case um, coming to like $300 million class action. And mm-hmm. that, that name's Barber licked Pat King. And I think nine or 10 others. So it's like, why are we focusing on these two? If like the civil case is like looking at, you know, the the proverbial dirty dozen or whatever you want to call them that's i think i think the where there will be some culpability i mean so much as you can i mean i i can't imagine um this class action this class actually is going to get three three hundred million dollars out of 12 Mm -hmm. people but um i think that's where there's going to be real accountability is is that civil suit i think it's going to i think it's a really an uphill climb for the crown to to make a case that licked and barber should go to jail yeah it's kind of like when there's the 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 bush party the house party and the cops come and everybody runs but then it's like okay you and you yeah (laughs) whose house is this right and 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 nab them i mean it's obviously a bit more well it's a lot more complex than that but i did notice in one of the, the the bits they were talking about how there was that press there were a lot more people in ottawa that were more outspoken than tomorrow at least for sure i don't know about um barber they mm. were there they mm. were there but there was there was like i guess they showed like a 70 or 75 minute video and and she said very little she was in the assembled group but yeah. she said very little so i mean it, it, it must be 
you know, let's call it conspiracy for what it is. It's tough. It can be tough to prove if you don't have somebody saying, okay, at this such and such a time, I want all of you to honk your horns all night and drive everybody crazy and give them deafness and give them PTSD, which is the kind of things that, that happen. Right. So mm-hmm. did they actually command them to do that? And that's the, that's the counseling others, right. To create mischief. Mm-hmm. So, but that, I mean, and of course, they are the ones that will always talk about the rights, like my rights, my rights. You, as we know, the rights aren't absolute, right? This this, mm-hmm. this gang thought it was like that. Well, actually, at one point they were talking First Amendment, or my First Amendment rights. So they, mm-hmm. I don't think they actually have a knowledge or had. They probably do now a knowledge of how the law works because you were. T- I think we talked about this before. How they're talking about American rules. It's like, mm. no, you don't just have the. And in America too, you don't necessarily just have the freedom to say whatever. Even though there was that open Nazi demonstration in Florida the other day, which is seriously disturbing. Yeah, this wasn't. This wasn't <laughs> quite that level. Although there was at least one swastika. There was no, some swat- noted. <laughs> yeah, truly noted. Right. It's it's an, and that that may come up as well. Right. Yeah. But of course, be like, well, can you pin this on them? I don't know because they ha- they have to hopefully go, go through the evidence and find culpability, as they say in in legal quarters, right? Right, but, like you know, you're never going to find a document somewhere. It's like, need to go to the bathroom. Well, the war memorial is a good place to <laughs> relieve yourself, or yeah. uh, you know, a list of like statues to deface. Like, hey, Terry Fox, like, wouldn't he be funny if you just wrapped a big old Canadian flag around him? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's like a lot of this was just generated because it was a big, loud, noisy thing. Remember in the middle of a lockdown, it was, there was a lockdown in January, 2022 in Ontario. Um, and, and people just sort of like went for it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to, I mean, you could make the point. They were all kind of troublemakers, but not everybody was there to, you know, put, Justin Trudeau under house arrest or citizens arrest or whatever, you know, people, a lot of people are just like venting frustration and in something like that, where there was like kind of really no organization, even though there were organizers and there were no rules, even though there were supposedly rules, a certain lawlessness took effect. And it's going to be tricky to sort out at the end of the day, like how responsible Tamara Licht is or Chris Barber or whoever even if we'd all like them to be held some to some level of responsibility, um, the law doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, mean doing what you think it should do. Uh, I ended gonna... up watching a half a dozen rebel clips on rebel news clips on uh, Twitter. So, wow, that wasn't good. <laughs> you th- <laughs> Took one for the team. <laughs> you think they yeah. were short though? Uh, thankfully, thank the Lord. Uh, I didn't. Th- I didn't know if there was such a thing as a short rebel clip. There is uh, now. <laughs> Tighten her up somehow. Yeah, it's usually two hours of jibber jabber. Uh, jibber jabber's right. We've got some more jibber jabber ourselves uh, after the break with an interview with Mayor Marianne Mead Ward. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Better have that space currency if you wanna do business. You better have that crypto if you wanna do business. You better have that space currency if you wanna do business. You better have that crypto if you wanna do business. I think we almost got it. I think we almost fixed it. 
That album is currently number 11 on the CFRU chart. It's called Lo-Fi Future by an artist named Sergeant X Comrade. The song was called Incredible Science. Incredible science, beautiful science. Science is incredible and beautiful. The vaccines. Uh, yeah, it's not about vaccines, but I think it's about bitcoins. I'm not sure. <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> yeah, it may, Comes makes, your own conclusion. Uh, makes sense. It sounds like the artist was, uh, it makes it sound like his father is Elon Musk um, with that name. Yeah. Techno Babble, what's his called, or whatever the new one's name is. Right? Yeah, I feel sorry for those kids. It's Techno not mechanic. Yeah. Crunch. I don't know. There, there's a scene in their there's a scene in their future where a shrink tells them it's tells them it's not their fault. I um, feel part sorry for them. <laughs> um, okay, moving on to other things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was the big Association of Municipalities of Ontario conference. It brings in people from all over Ontario, and they get FaceTime with Ontario ministers and government officials. Uh, one of the big uh, wheels at the meeting is always the the chair of the Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus, which represents the 29 biggest cities. Uh, presently, that role is filled by Mayor Marianne Meadward from Burlington in Halton Region, just uh, about an hour's drive down the road there, uh, right next to good old Hamilton. And so we asked uh, Mayor Ward to come on the show to talk about that experience, talk about uh, you might have remembered earlier this summer, uh, Doug Ford kind of called her out as being someone who wasn't playing ball on the housing pledge. So we talk about that and how how things kind of got wrong there. And we're also talking about the green belt because uh, the green belt is makes up a pretty big portion of the northern side of Burlington. And uh, last but not least, this regional review that was supposed to start this week, um, which got postponed. So, a lot to talk about with Marianne Mead Ward. So, let's get right to it. Uh, press play on our interview with uh, the Burlington mayor starting right now. Mayor Marianne Mead Ward, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, um, can you talk maybe just to, to get things rolling? It was AMO a couple of weeks ago. It's this like really rare opportunity for like people from municipalities all around Ontario to be in the same place with pretty much every cabinet minister in, in the Ontario government. It, it's a rare opportunity for advocacy, um, especially as, as we're seeing, like so many of these issues are sort of interconnected and, uh, you know, housing isn't just about housing. It's about, you know, health care and mental health and all these other things. So mm -hmm. having laid that table, um, walking away from AMO this year, how did you feel? Well, it was very productive. It was the biggest AMO ever. And uh, AMO, uh, of course, is the Association of Municipalities of Ontario. It includes uh, everyone who's a member, but there's 444 municipalities in Ontario. Uh, most of them uh, are members of AMO. And it's a chance to come together. And as you said, uh, we can request meetings with ministers. So we did that as the city of Burlington for issues that are affecting our community. Uh, we also did that in my capacity as chair of the Ontario's Big City Mayor's Caucus, which is the 29 largest municipalities in Ontario. And those conversations are very productive. It, it's partly to, you know, put a face to a name and get to know each other a little bit. But it's also to say, look, here's the issues that we're facing. 
And as you said, we, you know, municipalities are creatures of the province. We are mm. intimately in- intertwined. And with so many of the legislative changes coming, some good, uh, some really not good, it's an opportunity for us to uh, remind them of the value of partnership with us and consultation with us. And that, you know, we are ready to be partners on all of the issues that we face because there's only one resident and mm-hmm. we all serve the one resident. We all have a, a responsibility to work together. Residents don't care what level of government is responsible for what. They just want us to work together to get things done. And and so that was really a key focus of all of uh, really the whole conference, but all of my conversations uh, wearing both hats. Uh, I also chaired a panel as part of AMO on uh, housing and the housing crisis. And it was absolutely terrific. We had elected representative. We had... Uh, somebody from the nonprofit sector, development sector, uh, planner, talking about how, you know, the challenges of each of those sectors. So it, it's really an informative opportunity for people who are attending the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to do some sort of further table setting here. I, I could start off by talking about how we see the housing issue here in Guelph, but I want you to talk about how you see the housing issue in Burlington because mm-hmm. I, I then want to sort of give the listeners an opportunity in their own minds to sort of see where, because we hear this all the time from, you know, from different mayors from the province that, you know, this is not sort of like a, a, a one crisis in, in one place that there's a lot mm-hmm. of overlap. So please, can you describe, you know, from, from your point of view, what sort of the, the challenges are in Burlington about housing? Well, we are a growing country and, uh, you know, with 500,000 new immigrants coming into the country, plus uh, international students, refugee seekers, asylum seekers, all of whom we want to welcome, all of whom we want to, we need actually for our labor force and an educated workforce. So, so we welcome all of that. And when folks come, they find they don't have anywhere to live. Mm. Because we don't have enough supply, whether that's university housing for students, whether that's uh, shelters or affordable housing or rental for newcomers or people that are just getting started. Uh, But it also includes people who've been living here their whole lives. So my kids were born here. They're in their 20s. Not one of them can afford uh, rental or to buy a house. And that is you know, that's the crisis of this generation. You know, mm-hmm. my husband and I were, were lucky enough to be born in a different era and we were able to buy a house. And so we, and this isn't just a Burlington issue or an Ontario issue. This is nationwide mm-hmm. because of all of the factors that, that I laid out. And, and we also have uh, coupled with that increasing mental health challenges, which we had before COVID, but COVID really uh, accelerated that. And so we have a lot of folks who are struggling and, you know, one paycheck or, or interest rate increase away from losing their house and, and being, being homeless or needing a, a food bank because they can't pay, pay the mortgage or the rent and put food on the table. And so we're in a very precarious time. Mm. And we have an obligation as elected officials to work together to resolve these things. So, you know, I believe the solutions are there. Uh, I'm, I'm an optimist. Optimist. It, it, it does, though, take 
federal, provincial, municipal governments and industry and nonprofit sector uh, to work together to, you know, everyone has a part to play. And if any one of us isn't playing our part, the whole thing falls apart. Mm. Uh, if we're all playing our part, then we have the best shot at, at getting some things done. So what the province has done is <clears throat> assigned uh, the 29 biggest municipalities a housing target uh, or pledge. We as a council in Burlington unanimously endorsed the pledge because we're willing to do our part. And, and we're going to put it where we think that growth should go. So our pledge is 29,000 units in the next 10 years. We have a plan to accommodate that fully within our urban area. So we don't have to build on greenbelt or farmland. And we have three go stations. We want to put it around transit. Uh, we have transit corridors, Fairview and Plains, for example, in, in Burlington. We have aging retail plazas. You know, mm. single story buildings with acres and acres and acres of parking. And we're already starting to see some redevelopment being approved in some of those. And then there's a few select growth nodes uh, that have been identified in our official plan. So we can do all of that. Uh, we also just recently approved, uh, well, updated our official plan because the province has now allowed up to two additional accessory dwelling units as part of our principal residence. So that's three, you know, you've just tripled then the, mm. the housing in those established neighborhoods, uh, but in a way that nobody would see from the outside. These are, mm. you know, an accessory dwelling above a garage or a basement apartment. You, you won't see any change to the fabric of those neighborhoods, but all of a sudden we have the capacity now to triple the number of people that can live there. So, all of those tools will allow us and enable us to reach those targets. And, you know, that, that story is being played out across the province and I would guess across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't mention your target. You passed uh, the target, the 29,000 houses target. Um, people may remember though, back, I think it was in back in August, Doug Ford kind of singled you out as someone who wasn't, uh, I guess a team player, so to speak, on that. Um, could you shed some light on that? Like, was he? You're like literally the first person on his mind that day, or is that just? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so yes, I remember that that press conference well, and actually, it, <laughs> it, it earned me a sit down with the premier and the minister at the time of municipal affairs and housing, Steve Clark, which is very productive. They were looking at housing starts. And of course, mm. uh, the strongest message is that, uh, first of all, we don't control starts. That's the development industry. What, what municipalities do is issue permits. Whether a developer actually puts shovel in the ground once, they're, once they've received all the approvals from us, we have no control over that. And there has been, the Ontario's big city mayors has actually done some work with our membership to try to quantify how many of those types of units are there out there where all the approvals in place, but builders are not building and there's thousands of them, thousands and thousands and thousands. So, you know, don't judge municipalities on what we don't control. We are absolutely happy to be accountable for what we do control and that's issuing permits. And so we, um, as a result of uh, Ford's comments, I did meet with them and we talked about our pipeline. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's in the approval process? We have right now 38,000 units wow. in our pipeline. And that's everything from pre-consultation. I call those the hope and a dream applications. <laughs> those are, you know, <laughs> when developers will say, look, I own this property and I'm, I don't, what can I do with it? Uh, or I'm thinking of doing uh, this with it, what are the hoops that I'd have to jump through? So some of those will turn into applications, not all of them will. So about, you know, a little over 15,000 of that 38 are those pre-con. The rest are in some stage of review, whether they're tied up at the tribunal. Again, we don't control that. Uh, They may have received approvals, haven't pulled permits. We don't control that. We're waiting for developers to come in and apply for site plan. Again, we don't control that. We're waiting for them to do that. And then there's a little over 7,000 units of the balance that are in active review. That is what we control. So we are laser focused on, okay, let's look at that and see, make sure that we are are doing our work as quickly and efficiently as possible so that developers can get shovel in the ground. And then let's have a look at some some of the other ones. Uh, Are there ways that we can... Uh, review what's at the tribunal. Are we, you know, miles apart and, and it's just going to be a contested hearing? Are we close and we can agree on something and just get those out of the queue? Uh, we need to understand from developers why they're not coming in to pull their permits. What right. are the issues? And we've heard some things from them around interest rates are high. It's hard to get mm. financing, it's hard for people to qualify for mortgage. There's labor shortages, there's supply chain shortages. Right. Again, issues that the municipality doesn't control, but directly impact the ability to get shovels in the ground. So uh, so I, I do believe we're now having that more complete conversation about what the log jams are, what the challenges are, and how each of us can do our part better. So that, that was essentially uh, the conversation I had with the Premier. And that was sort of my understanding from sort of looking back at some of the, the press clippings about that. And that kind of sort of play, uh, parlays into that report you mentioned, the working together to build 1.5 million homes that the, right. uh, the Ontario Bay City Mayor's put together with Smart Prosperity. Um, having said that, I mean, Doug Ford may be changing his mind that it's not all sort of like a, a red tape issue, but you also have Pierre Polivier essentially out on the campaign trail saying mm-hmm. that he wants to cut red tape and that mm-hmm. he needs to supercharge the powers of municipalities to approve projects. Just how upstream like are you having to swim to say like, hey, I've got almost 40,000 units I can build on like in various states, whether that's at pre-planning, as you said, or, you know. We have 6,000 units, I think, here in Guelph that are, are completed applications that all, that all that's ready is all that's left is to issue building permits. Like it, it does seem like yeah. the issue seems to be on the actual building side versus the actual approval side. Absolutely. And and we're happy to enlighten uh, our federal counterparts about the uh, broader nature of the conversation uh, anytime. And and the report, that's one of the reasons that we commissioned the report. There is a role for the federal government. There's a proper role for the federal government. And I hope all federal elected officials read about their role um, and, and let municipalities fulfill our role. 
And, you know, to that end, Ontario's big city mayors have requested uh, a meeting with uh, both the new Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing in Ontario and received very favorable response. So we're just looking to set that up. Uh, and the new Minister of Housing at the federal level, Sean Fraser. And, and I'll be joining uh, my counterpart, the president of AMO, Colin Best, to sit down and, and talk about our shared uh you know, shared responsibility in this area and the role that the federal government plays. Uh, one of the one of the interesting things, though, is that um, Ontario doesn't get our share, uh, according to provincial data, of of housing money and to the mm. tune of about four hundred and fifty million dollars uh, on a per capita basis. And and so, you know, we're certainly going to be advocating that Ontario get our share of of that. Um, Burlington, like many municipalities, have applied for the Housing Accelerator Fund, which is the federal fund, and you can use that to acquire land and then work with partners in the for-profit or non-profit sector to deliver housing. So we have some projects in the queue for that we're waiting to hear. So, you know, again, it comes back to all of us have a role. So it's really important for every level to understand what their role is uh, and make sure that they are doing the best uh, on their role. And, you know, part and parcel with all of this is the, the funding model for municipalities. Right. So, you know, even though people may not understand how it's directly related to housing, it's directly related to housing because it's about how we build communities, how we build the infrastructure to support communities, whether that's sewers or schools or parks or whatever it is. And we're being asked as municipalities to do more and more complex things on, on the backs of property taxpayers. And so right. uh, I'm not the first one, to, I'm not the one to have come up with this phrase, but I think it captures it very well. Uh, the federal government has all the money. The provincial government has all the power and municipalities have all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and we are trying to solve those problems on nine cents on the dollar right. of revenue collected, you know, whether that's sales tax, income tax or property tax uh, off the one resident that we all serve. We only get nine cents of that. And so the Federation of Canadian Municipalities has taken up the cause. Uh, we passed a motion at the FCM conference earlier this year to um, to explore a new municipal uh, fiscal framework. Hmm. across the country because it, again it's this is not just ontario this is every municipality across the country that is faced with this outdated model the financing model hasn't been updated in over 100 years but our mm -hmm. cities are vastly different they they have grown dramatically you know we we just celebrated in burlington our 150th plus anniversary of being incorporated as a city mm -hmm. uh, a, a couple of days ago uh, we say plus because we recognize Indigenous peoples have been here millennia before that. Uh, but but we were a couple, we were seven hundred and fifty people <laughs> one hundred and fifty years ago. We're almost mm -hmm. two hundred thousand. Right. And yet the financial framework and the relationship with the other levels of government has not changed in that time. And so you know now's the time. Um, uh, and I will be participating uh, as uh, in my role as chair of the Ontario's big city mayors in a in a summit coming up uh, with FCM to uh, put more definition around what what we need to do on that side of it.
But the problem is there, that's kind of like the unsexy part of solving the issue, this like funding formulas and things. And and, and there are like, there are all sorts of appendages to it. Like I'm also thinking about the heads and beds levy, which hasn't changed since yep. 1987. Yep. There's yep. just, you know, yep. Everyone agrees there's a housing problem, but it, it's it's there, there's like a systemic issue that goes back in terms of like funding and formulas and all the stuff that makes people go right. <laughs> yeah, except just policy won't elect yeah. officials. Yeah, but that that is a key piece because at the end of the day, if resources are not being allocated properly to to address the problem then we're going to keep if you know the one of my colleagues has a saying if we keep doing what we've always done we're always going to get what we always got right so and we what we've always done has gotten us exactly here so if here is not where we want to be then we're going to have to do something different i didn't know i didn't know yogi berra was a burlington city councillor but uh <laughs> maybe that's where he stole it from <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I do want to take a couple of minutes to address uh, a couple of things from the news this week. Um, regional facilitators, and this would have impacted yes. you as Burlington mayor, because Halton region, uh, that's on pause. Um, I, I know that there was a review in the first term of the Ford government that we never kind of heard the results of that. So I'm guessing uh, I want to know from your point of view, how much of a concern is like regional governance and how much of that is from your point of view, like uh, a potential impediment to getting some of the things done, some of the provincial goals that the government wants to get done? Is it an impediment? Well, I think that some streamlining, there's an opportunity for some streamlining. We don't need both two levels of government uh, having a planning department and, and right. overseeing planning. So the province has already said that that will go exclusively to municipalities, which is fine. It's not going to happen till next year. So we have asked, you know, just accelerate it, get get on with it, because, you know, that is a duplicated level of service. And, and you know, I look at regional review as an opportunity to see, are there other duplicated services? Is there a better way to deliver service to the community? It's an opportune time. It is very disruptive, for sure, uh, especially to be at this a second time. But but let's use that disruption to say, OK, well, let, let's look at it with an open mind. And so our council has directed staff to come back with some options um, in, in different categories of things. And the first category, which is the low hanging fruit, is are there services delivered by both levels? Maybe one should do that. And. Uh, and, and I can think of several. In addition to planning, ECDEV is delivered at both levels, transportation, mm -hmm. heritage planning, parks planning. Right. So right out of the gate, there's an opportunity to say, look, we're big enough to take all that. Just, just give that to us. And then we don't have two levels of government doing essentially the same work. We have a parks department, we have a transportation department, et cetera. And then what about the ones that are, that are almost exclusive? Exclusively delivered at the region. Well, let's have a look at at what the service delivery models are. Um, mm. Is there is there a better or different way to deliver that? So I think this is a real opportunity, and I also think that look, this is the second time we've been down this path. Mm. Let's get on with it. If you're going to not do it at all, make that decision quickly. Right. <laughs> if you're going to do it quickly, do it quickly. Right. Uh, and and we're happy to participate in that conversation excuse me, we're happy to participate in that conversation uh, with an open mind and with some suggestions, all of which are in view of 
better service delivery to the community and getting shovels in the ground. So we don't have the answers yet, but we've asked our staff to look at that. And, and notwithstanding, mm-hmm. you know, what the province may or may not do on regional review, we're going to continue that work because it's really incumbent upon us to ask the question, is there a better way to do this? And we should be doing that every so often. You know, right. uh, again, regional government was set up when municipalities were teeny tiny. We're three, four, five times the size we were when regional government was established. And and so is it still relevant for municipalities of our size? Um, it, it, you know, we need to be asking these questions in a thoughtful way and, and then coming to a conclusion based on what's in the best interest of the community and the people we serve. I think this might be, have to be our last question, but, you know, people, when they think of Burlington, don't necessarily think about the Greenbelt, but that's the northern part of, of your city is, is, sure uh, is a section of the Greenbelt. Um, the new Minister of Housing, uh, talking about doing a more fulsome review, perhaps pulling more portions of the Greenbelt for potential development. And I, I know that the Burlington sections weren't identified as um, for, for development in, in the initial review, but how concerned are you going forward that your your sections of the the green belt are at stake now? Well, I, we have made a commitment as a council, as successive councils over many decades, that we're not going to expand our urban boundary and we're going to protect our green belt. Half of Burlington is rural. Mm-hmm. We want to protect that. That has been a long-standing formal policy position of the city council and staff over, as I said, successive decades and successive councils. So we we will not support any uh, change, uh, conversion of Greenbelt to housing. And the, the more important part is that it's not needed. Mm. And it's not me saying that. This is the attorney general who did a review and looked at experts who have analyzed, do we need more land to deliver the 1.5 million housing units? And that the short answer is absolutely no. There is no demonstrated need that there's a land shortage that is causing the delay and the housing crisis. It is a process issue. It is a an issue of all the things we're talking about. Why aren't developers getting shovels in the ground? Are permits being issued fast enough? All of that. And as we talked about in Burlington ourselves, we, we have a plan for 29,000 units plus <laughs> uh, all within our urban boundary. So we know from personal experience, there is no need to expand the urban boundary. There's no need to build on the green belt to achieve housing units. And, and that is the clearest message that we can deliver is that we will not accept uh, any conversion of green belt land. And, and in fact, um, myself and my counterpart in Oakville brought a motion uh, to oppose any conversion of Halton land mm. to the green belt. Now, that was overruled because they <laughs> can do what they want, which they did, unfortunately. So, so there are some parcels that have been converted against our democratic wishes in Halton Hills and Milton. So, uh, so there's there's always a need to be vigilant on these things, as we have seen. You know, I think people probably took that for granted that the green belt would always be there, and what we've yeah. seen recently is no, we have to be vigilant in protecting it for the future. And that's, that's what we, that's on our watch. That's what we need to do. Well, from your lips to Paul Calandra's ears, I hope he's listening, <laughs> but uh, for now, uh, Marianne Mead Ward, thank you so much for your time today. It's appreciated. Thank you for your interest. Okay. Once again, that was 
Marianne Mead Ward, who is the mayor of Burlington and the chair of Ontario Big City Mayors. And it was good to have her on. It's good to have uh, it's good to talk to other people's mayors, too. <laughs> yeah endless stream we could interview all the mayors and, and retire out of that probably oh my could, could we do 444 mayors do you think <laughs> some of them are reeves though right That's, <laughs> um yeah possibly let's possibly. do all the reeves i'll work on the reeves you can have the mayors <laughs> I, I smell a project all right um <laughs> that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it and uh, you can listen to our show again by downloading it every Monday at the Guelph. Po- you can listen to our show again by downloading it every Monday from our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will be back here on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for our movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. And that's just one of the many great programs that you will hear on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this show, we will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. with another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.